Welcome to the Aurelian Hour, a podcast where we have an honest discussion with men about how they live their lives, the things they think every day, the triumphs and the challenges. Many of those interviewed are entrepreneurs who have struck out on their own in some way. By allowing men to open up and share, we hope to create connection, inspiration, and a redefinition of what it means to be a man today. I'm your host, Nick Hogue, founder of Aurelian CBD, and at the top of each episode, my guest and I take a dose of Aurelian CBD so that we can be relaxed, focused, and connected for the hour ahead. My guest today is Voy Vyonsek, otherwise known as just Voy. Voy is the founder of We the Rivals, an athletic wear brand for the daily grind, and more recently, the modern renaissance man, an organization that aims to bridge the gap between lifestyle and well-being for the man of purpose through events, retreats, and their content-rich website. In this Aurelian Hour, Voy and I talk about how he got into the men's workspace and creating the modern renaissance man, Voy's life-changing experiences with plant medicines like ayahuasca and animal medicines like poisonous frog venom, and what masculinity and being a man can look like today. So, thanks so much for being on the Aurelian Hour. This is like the, I don't know, fourth one maybe recorded, so still learning how to kind of kind of do it but I always like starting the podcast actually because you have such an interesting background and, and didn't grow up in the states kind of like me just tell us a little bit about like where you were born what when you came to America etc yeah for sure so my journey started in Poland um, grew up in a village in the woods four houses very like if you look on TV like kids running no shirt barefoot hanging out with animals that was us just wild shit building shelters and stuff, just being wild, sleeping in the woods for days at a time without my mom even being worried, like very, very wild. And um, we had an unfortunate incident happen where my sister was killed in a car accident. And that pretty much shifted the whole family's dynamic. So my father, he was raised first a worker, then he was raised a father. Then if he had time, there was feelings. Got it. And it, kind of never hit that side of the spectrum because he was always had to be strong and hard and you know men can't express themselves so he was kind of just very stoic and that shifted his whole life around so when my sister was killed he did not express you know grieve so he reached for the bottle became an alcoholic went through just so much shit my mom got depressed my brother just kind of pretty much disowned the family and um, we had to leave just that environment because just shit wasn't working out so my dad flew out here worked for a month got some money and then literally just came one night it was like 9 p.m i still remember this i was eight walks into the house looked at all of us and he's like pack your shit we're leaving and he, fl- he came to new he was here in new jersey or yeah he was yeah. in new jersey working here saving some money and then he literally just came back that night said pack your shit we're leaving and we flew out the next day yeah I didn't get to wow. say bye to anybody. We didn't say anything. We just came here. And then, and at this point, you, you didn't speak any English, right? Nah, no. Zero, man. So right. when we came here, I was just like, holy shit. Yeah. And the crazy, I still remember this image like it was yesterday. In Poland, where I lived, if you heard a plane, like that was big shit. Like me and my brother would run out, but holy shit, that's a plane. Like chase it, run after it. Crazy. I pulled up in Jersey. I got out the car. It was just fucking planes back and forth. And I was like, holy shit. That's the immediate thing. Like, <laughs> yeah. whoa, this is already very different. This is so different. So, you know, I went through some rough upbringings. 
I definitely felt like I was casted as an outsider just because of my look, my name. And um, I went through a lot of anxiety and depression when I was growing up. And um, it got to the point where the anxiety was just getting crazy and I didn't know how to approach it. So I went to a doctor and of course the first thing they did is says, you need medication. Right. And I was like, this shit ain't for me. I'm gonna figure it out. I'm gonna do my best to figure this shit out so I could change my life around. And that's when like that shift just hit in my brain to like, all right, it's time to get to work. Hmm. So reading, that opened so many doors for me. Meditation, and once I got into meditation, I started you know, getting into nutrition, working out, movement, and that just became kind of the movement for me. And it became opening doors and inviting people that were on that same vibration. And I started kind of building a little community around myself to just keep, keep getting myself up to the top. Do you think part of your instinct to follow those things was also in relation to what you just mentioned, like your father not, not doing that and how, you know, like sometimes we, I think, look to our parents and some things, some things we want to follow and some things we want to do the exact opposite of them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Without right. a doubt. Yeah. I remember sitting in my room when I was a kid and um, I looked in the mirror and I said, I'm never going to be like him. Mm. And that was a big shift. And truthfully, when I was 17... I was just a wild motherfucker, <laughs> like just going crazy, took my brother's passport. I was trying to get fake IDs and fake IDs didn't work at the time as well. And I used to actually get them from the dark web. I was big into hacking and just messing around with different things. So I used to make fake IDs and we used to sell them too. But then uh, Jersey came about with the hologram for the IDs oh. and we couldn't replicate that. So I was like, fuck, I got to figure out a new way to get into these clubs. And at that time, I was dating this girl who was 21. She just turned 21. So obviously, she wanted to explore everything, go to bars, go to clubs. And I was like, fuck, I'm, like, I'm not trying to let my girl go do her thing. I want to be there. So I stole my brother's passport. He looked just like me and um, had a couple crazy years with that. Oh, a couple crazy <laughs> years with the passport. A couple crazy years. I was like, one that. night, use the passport. He's like, no, we use it for a couple of years. So. You know, 17, 18, going gambling in Atlantic City, spending thousands of dollars, going to Cancun, Mexico, Miami, Ultra Music Week, doing the crazy clubs out there, just going crazy because I couldn't find myself. Yeah. I feel like I was trying to numb the pain. And that was just partying was one of those things that was just keeping me afloat. So then as we were talking about before we started the podcast, that you, you, you worked for a, uh, a big company. Mm-hmm. Um, what, what were you working in cybersecurity? You said, yeah, yeah. yeah. So when was the shift? What, what was the impetus for the shift that to suddenly go out and kind of strike it out on your own and become an entrepreneur? And yeah, absolutely. So, um, graduated with a sales degree, crushed it, got into my first corporate job, um, moved up the ranks extremely fast, became a sales manager. You know, I was making very, very good money, especially at that time. Um, I got opportunity to work with inv individuals from our government. I really got to see some crazy shit within hacking, the dark web, and everything. And I felt like I had it all figured out. And then one day, I literally walked into work, and I just said, this shit doesn't feel right. I'm chasing this for the whole wrong reason. All I want to chase right now is money, and that's not being fulfilling. And... um. You know, at that time, I was doing businesses on the side prior to. I had other clothing lines prior that failed, and um, I just didn't want to give up. So I made We The Rivals with a co-founder, and it was just a side gig. 
while you still kept working yeah while i was still working and um when i was there it was like i said it just shit hit the fan and i was like fuck this i don't want to do this anymore so i figured out an exit strategy and i was like i'm gonna get another job then i'm gonna get fired go on employment and use that base to just go all in work on myself figure this shit out and start being on my own and that day came it was a Friday. I got a call from a friend, and he's like, hey, man, we got another job for you. You get to work from home. I was like, work from home? <laughs> shit, let's do it. I'm going to be working on my business the whole time. Fuck that. Like, I'm going to just figure this shit out. So I walked into that place, and I told him, I was like, listen, I quit. They were going crazy. They're, like, begging me to stay, trying to, you know, give me pay increase, all this. And I was like, I'm done. Like, I never want to do this again. So I walked out, started working at another cybersecurity from home. And while I was doing that, I just couldn't focus on that job. I just kept working on my shit nonstop. So as I had the exit strategy a few months back, I was like crazy at the time. But I was like, I'm just going to get fired. And that would be my little cushion to just kind of push me in the right direction. And that's what happened. So did you purposely just work less and do a bad job? <laughs> yes, yeah, so I'll be honest. Yeah. <laughs> I had... um. They tracked everything, but of course, you know, I was, I was a tech head, so I figured shit out and, and put programs on my actual computer that moved the mouse for me, you know, went through oh, my emails, so everything was always online, so they seemed like I was working, but, um, you know, so, sooner or later, obviously, they caught on that I was just kind of fading, so, um, yeah, they let me go, and truthfully, for the first time in my life, it felt like everything was going to be all right, hmm. like, you know, the last day when you graduate high school? And you just, you're like, fuck, I'm done. I don't have to be in high school again. Like, even though if it was good, like, I don't have to do it with school. Yeah. That's how I felt when I got fired. And, um, yeah, life just, my life just changed since then. Thinking back to that moment where you walked into the office and said, I just can't do this anymore. Looking back now, can you identify what it was about that day or that moment that suddenly made you think that? Yeah, for sure. So, um. They were building new teams within the organization, and they brought in some really, really heavy hitters to transform the company, and we were going to go public. And, um, you know, they wanted me to be a part of this team and lead here, but then they were like, you know, we want you on this team. And then they were like, no, we want you on this team. And then, like, the different teams kind of started pulling me around. And they couldn't figure out where to, where to put me because everybody was just like, we want him here, we want him here, we want him here. And it was just kind of draining me because I was like just jumping from different positions, not really knowing what to do. And then when I asked for their help, when I was like, hey, listen, like, I really want to do this. Like, I feel uncomfortable here. I'm not passionate about it. They turned their back on me and they said, we can't help you. And that's when I realized that that company didn't really care about me as an individual. They just care about the results that I was putting through. Yeah, right. Now, it makes sense. It is a business, but the way they approached it was like a slap in the face. And ever since that day, I was like, you know what? I just can't work with these people. Makes me think about a lot of the stories that are coming out now about players in the NFL. I mean, obviously a different business, but you know how they kind of, some of them will, will be injured and they'll be sort of encouraged just like, ah, oh, just take some painkillers, continue to play. And yeah, there's one just now, I was reading it last night. I can't remember now that one of the players though, that's just took it into his own hands said, no, man, I'm, I can't take these painkillers anymore. I need to go get healed. And then yeah. they ended up cutting him. Wow. Was, I think it was the Eagles. I don't know. But, um, anyway, uh, so what's, I always love asking the question, what's been 
what's been the most triumphant moment so far with 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 the business with uh with the clothing brand or yeah exactly um there's one specific moment that felt when we sponsored our first athlete that was by far one of the biggest achievements to see a professional wear our clothing and um, when he was going around the country competing he was getting featured in documentaries and stuff like that and to see him on the big screen rocking the v yeah it was like holy shit <laughs> like yeah, right. we made it what made you decide to create a clothing brand that was sort of focused on you know uh, for athletes people working out and stuff yeah yeah for sure so i was always involved with fitness um huge soccer fan got injured so i shifted over to just being healthy in the gym i got into bodybuilding um definitely went through my phases of bodybuilding and uh, I was spending my days all the time in a gym. And I was always into fashion. And I was just like, shit, man. There's all these clothing lines that look like Nike, Adidas, that are very athletic focused. There's not really like a fashion lifestyle behind it. And um, I was inspired by Randall Pitch from Live Fit Apparel. It's another company out west. He's probably one of the leaders in the space. And um, when I saw him doing his thing, I was like, shit, man. Let me give this a shot. So I created clothing that were fitness, fashion, merging the two. And it was the first company I made. And I just went through so much shit with my partner that we had to kind of throw in the towel. And I lost like 10 Gs in the first month. That was that was that was some previous ones. Yeah, that was on, previously. Right? Were they called the same? Was it was we the rivals? No, it was, that uh, was something different. <laughs> uh, it was called G Fit Generation okay. Fit. So it was uh, one of those first businesses that you were kind of like. What went wrong? I mean, probably a few things, but like. I was getting so many signs. Now I understand about signs and, you know, paths or universe source, whatever you want to call it. But the trademark was denied, both of them. My partner was just kind of not there. So I was being forced to do everything myself. Um, every time I was investing money for a new clothing or a new supplier, somehow they always fucked it up. And it was just constantly losing money. And I was like, shit, man, like I just can't keep up with this. It was just way too many losses. Now, I know there were lessons, but at the time, like, you were just so caught up. And, you know, I was in school, and I was trying to figure out how to make money. So I just threw in the towel. And um, I got depressed. Yeah. I was just like, shit, I really just failed myself, and I gave up. I was like, I need to redo this. So I took a year off, came up with a new name, met one of my childhood friends at the gym. And I'm like, yo, man, the vibe between us is right. I got this idea. What do you think? And he's like, bro. I fucking love it. Let's do it. And uh, once we got together, we just started producing clothes and it was just going like hotcakes. And I was like, shit, we got something going here. So the more we started to kind of invest in it, the more we got back. And, um, you know, it's three years later now and we have two sponsored athletes. We have a full line of gear. It's been all over the world. So, yeah, man, I'm blessed. So when the last one failed, do you immediately know that you were going to continue and do another one, that this wasn't going to be the end of your time in the kind of creating a clothing brand? Or did you think, I'm never going back into clothing again, I'm going to do something completely different? Yes, yeah, so I wasn't sure it was going to be clothing again. Got it. I knew I was going to still be an entrepreneur and keep building businesses or try to build businesses, but I never thought it was going to be clothing again. Yeah. Yeah. And I always had that fire in me to build my own business because... I just don't like being told what to do. <laughs> so, <laughs> <Yeah. I understand. laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
So um, I always knew something was on the horizon, but I didn't know it was going to be another clothing brand. But it just made sense. Like, you know, I went through the process. I made relationships with suppliers all around the world. So it was just a smart thing to do. Yeah, I totally empathize with that feeling of not being like being told what to do. It's the <laughs> yeah. blessing and the curse in a way of being an entrepreneur because it really is. It's such a liberating, free feeling to be able to be in charge of whatever the creative destiny of it. And uh, but at the same time, on those days when you're really tired and there's all this stuff to do, it's on you to do it. Nobody yeah. else is going to do it. You know, so it's like you're responsible for all of it, which is the great part, but also the hard part in certain days. Yeah, absolutely. And you, I'll be honest, like there's some days where I'm just like, shit, I kind of wish I had a boss. Yeah, exactly. so I could just wake up at nine, go do what I got to do, come yeah. back at four and I don't you're have to done. worry about shit. I know entrepreneur yeah. you wake up at 3 a.m you're like fuck did i send that email i gotta do this i gotta do that yeah and it's always a constant grind but the reward is so much more greater yeah now um nick i gotta turn it around and i want to hear <laughs> your story man because i never got the insight so i'm sure a lot of the the listeners would definitely like to hear how you kind of had that shift and said you know what i'm gonna go and be on my own well i was sort of i mean i worked um i went to drama school about five years ago and then was working as an actor a little bit so i was kind of always doing like real entrepreneurial stuff i knew it bro that was real uh with kind of no structure you know and and before that i played music and i and i I still do a bunch of different stuff i i occasionally work um in real estate because my mom's worked in the industry for about 20 30 years in Mm. new york I do tours down the 9-11 Memorial. So I've, I've never really had like an actual, aside from like internships in college and, and high school, I've never really had like a nine to five job. It's just never been my path. But I think with regards to starting Aurelian is I've always been really into wellness. I've always been um, passionate about um, sitting down with friends and like counseling and, and being a listener and offering advice, it's one of the things I really enjoy to do. And, uh, and I also had my own battles with anxiety uh, and panic attacks, which in my mid-20s became a real big part of my life, having never experienced anything like that. Mm. And, and then I discovered uh, CBD about, about three, three years ago and then went down the path of, you know, uh, looking at like finally finding organic uh, CBD in full spectrum. And it brought me down this whole pathway. Uh, and then seeing that there wasn't really that many brands that that combine a great product with with a, a lifestyle and messaging a, appeal that really spoke to people like me. Um, and so that was kind of the impetus. And to be honest, too, uh, you know, being an actor is so difficult. Any actor knows that. Even if you go to a great school like I did and you have a good team of people like agents and managers mm. working for you, it's still so, so difficult. And so much of it, uh, even though you're you're doing something entrepreneurial, so much of it is out of your control. You know, you got to wait for your agents to give you an appointment, an audition, and then you go into the room and you have no control over whether you get it or not. You try to do your best work. And so uh, you start to feel powerless, at least I did. And so having this uh, became so empowering to wake up every morning and not have enough hours in the day to complete all the things you have to do. And, uh, and that was a unique feeling uh, coming, coming from more of the performing world. So, so even though they're both kind of like entrepreneur type jobs, they're very different in that sense. And I think the biggest, biggest sort of discovery of doing all this is it's been so creative. I mean, obviously there's the business side of it where you got to, look at the numbers and learn how to, you know, 
do the funnels and the messaging and stuff, but so much of it is creative and storytelling as we were talking about, mm. because we as human beings, we connect to stories the same way customers do. And so having a successful brand and having people catch on to what you're doing is largely about storytelling through through your writing, through the photos, the videos. And so it's, it's, that's actually been the most surprising part. You know, I was sort of kind of maybe judge business. Like, ah, it's just about like making money and, you know, <laughs> yeah. crunching numbers, but it's really not. It's super, super creative. So, um, so yeah, that was my, that was my journey. Anyway. Yeah. Now, do you still miss the acting side of things or, um, you still kind of dabble in that space? Sometimes I do like some voiceover stuff once in a while. Um, I don't really, I don't, you know, uh, sometimes I'll go in for an appointment ever so often and I'll just feel that same feeling of like, oh, here I am to like do a little song and dance for you. <laughs> you know, I just feel like, I don't know, it, it's, uh, like I said, I get so much creative fulfillment from doing this that mm. that part, I, I always have to do something creative. I think that always has to be part of what I do. But um, but having Aurelian has been like super creative. It's all it's all up to you, you know. And uh, so, no, I can't say I do. Mm. Uh, and actually doing the tours down the 9-11 Memorial, which you should come to, by the way, they're really... I don't say that because I'm just one of the tour guides, but it's a really an extraordinary experience. You learn things about that day and stories that, just most people don't know about they kind of blow you away and they're all these amazing stories but you know getting to do that a few times a week to a group of 20 30 people kind of keeps that sort of yeah. performing public speaking muscle alive which i really enjoy it's basically like telling people an hour and a half monologue and uh and i also really value that skill because i think one thing i've said to actors um, I said one of the things I've also discovered from from getting out of acting and performing is when you're in that world, you assume that everybody is kind of just good at, at communicating because right. that's their job. But when you enter the real world, it's a lot of really accomplished people that um, that you know they just don't know how to communicate very well. Uh, whether they get really nervous or they don't really articulate well, or I've gone to some conferences where you have these very, like I said, accomplished people that talk for 20 minutes. And I, I, I have no <laughs> fucking know what's idea going on. what they do. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, but what is it that you do? I don't understand what you're saying. This guy's wearing and a so, suit, yeah, but he's yeah. wearing like crayons. So that's also been a cool surprise to realize that that skill is actually something that, um, that you know, is useful uh, and not just sort of a taken for granted kind of thing. So so the, the tour guiding, I, I really enjoy that. It helps keep that muscle sharp. Now, um, do you slip any Aurelian into the into the tour by any chance yeah, exactly. or not <laughs> I'm just like throw, throw in a little like product placement is anybody I, stressed right now yeah i know i don't i to be honest i've thought about it but it's just because it's such a sensitive topic yeah. and i i feel really honored to be telling um telling those stories right. and honoring the people that i mentioned so so i don't but Maybe if I was a little more of a cutthroat entrepreneur, I'd, I'd do it. Yeah, I mean, it's just an idea. I'm just throwing it out there. <laughs> exactly, you never know. Exactly. We do send these emails at the end of tour uh, to the group asking them to review on TripAdvisor for the company and just give right. like a five-star review if you love the tour. So I was thinking like, and by the way, you know, I mentioned I have my own wellness company. Here's the website if you'd like to check it out. Yeah, but, why not? You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not there yet. I want to get back to you. And um, on, on the flip side, what's been, what's been what's been the hardest part so far what's been the the the, the lowest low or the, the the kind of biggest setback is there one particular moment where you thought oh man um so i definitely have a few lows that i could talk about but um one thing that i wanted to bring up which was probably the hardest day of my life which kind of doesn't veer off towards entrepreneurship 
So I will ask you if that's okay to speak about it. Yeah, that's fine. No. But um, it was in August this year. It was definitely the hardest day of my life, but it was the most life-changing day of my life. And it was when I was involved with my first ayahuasca ceremony. Oh, wow. I'm not sure if you're familiar with ayahuasca, the plant medicine. I am, yeah. I've never taken it myself, but I'm, I'm familiar with it. Yeah, so for those that don't know, ayahuasca is a sacred medicine typically found in South America. It's um, It's been used by those people for thousands of years, and it, it just opens your mind to so many different things that you were set back by, and it kind of dives deeper, and it forces you to go through that pain so you could release it and then just clear that energy, so... The best way I could explain it is imagine saving every single memory from the day you were born till now. And ayahuasca just opens your brain and puts everything out in front of you. Hmm. And you get to see it and experience the really deep shit that's like holding you back. And like the medicine knows what you got to go through. So it was seven hours of just purging, just getting beat up by this sacred plant and you did this somewhere around here like it was like a uh yeah yeah so i did it actually in new york oh yeah um one of the shamans who goes to peru came by and um it was crazy man like i knew it was a calling for this and um i was waiting for the calling and i would literally go to new york city to like these gyms and meet with these trainers that were like training superstars and they would walk up to me and they're like hey man for some reason you know a little bit of ayahuasca, do you? At a random. I never even spoke to the guy, and I'm like, holy shit. And these are people that have done it themselves? Yeah, yeah. Okay. So I would speak to him. I'm like, yeah, man, I'm like very interested. And he's like, I felt that from you. I was like, that's weird. Hmm. He did it like six times. And then literally that same week, I was sitting with, um, with one of my friends, and he said that a shaman was coming to the area, but he was out on a tour, so he doesn't know when he's going to come back. And I was like, yo, whatever happened to that shaman? And no shit, Nick. No shit. Two minutes later, the shaman texts him. And he goes, yo, I'm back in Jersey. I got two spots for next week. Wow. I was like, this is the sign. So I signed up that day. And um, yeah, man, we went for it. And it was... Um, and you do it outside somewhere? Or was it in a, in a house, an apartment? I mean, I, I've had friends that have gone off to Montauk and do... They do like some of these ceremonies. Mm-hmm. And I, I, don't, I think they do, I assume they do it like outside. And it's a combination of like in a... Um, so for this specific ceremony, with we did it inside. Okay. And it was through the night. Yeah, right. So we sat in a, um, in a li- living room together. We cleared the space, cleared the energy. And uh, there's about eight of us in a dark room with the shaman sitting in front. And he opened up the space. He sang his Icaros, which is music that is kind of tailored to how you're feeling. And, um, yeah, we just went through it for seven hours, just some really, really deep shit. And I saw some some crazy life-changing things that were holding me back for sure. Were you nervous before you did it? Uh, truthfully, no. I was okay. probably the most centered and grounded. Huh. And I was even excited to do it because I've been just seeking this for so long that i was like wow it's finally here so i was like super pumped and that was actually my downfall because i was so excited to do it that i didn't want to surrender to it if that makes sense interesting yeah so i don't want to let go and just let it take over me because i was just like oh what is it going to be what am i going to see like what am i going to experience what am i going to feel am i going to throw up am i going to go through this shit like whatever yeah, because I've had I've I've seen documentaries about ayahuasca and also talked to friends that have done it and you know the yeah. experience. I don't know if it's every time, but certainly the first time you can 
get very sick, obviously vomiting mm-hmm. a lot. And I had one friend who did it in South America one summer. And I think he kind of, I mean, he was obviously with the psychedelics of it. He yeah. climbed a tree and like scraped his whole body <laughs> oh, off shit, the thing, you know. <laughs> he um, had some good shit there. So, man. you know, it's like once you once you take it, like you're off on, off you go. There's no, there's no stopping it. So, yeah. But so, I don't know, I guess ex- describe the experience. You said it was one of the worst days of your life, but also a, a changing point. So what do you, what do you mean by that? Yeah. So, so in terms of the worst experiences, um, imagine going out with the boys on a night of partying and you just had the meanest hangover, multiply that by like a thousand. What? This is while you're taking it. While I'm on it. Yeah. So once I took the first cup, I was just getting weird. And like I said, I didn't want to surrender. So the shaman's like, drink another one. Oof. So I drank another one. I still don't want to surrender. So he's like, take another one. And, so I took another one. And he was able to see that you weren't surrendering because you weren't. He just felt my energy. It's crazy. Energy. Sound, yeah. Like okay. he was, it was dark as shit. He was just going one by one. And when he came to me, he stopped and he goes, Voy, you got to let go. Hmm. And I didn't even talk to the guy. I couldn't barely see him. He's like, take another cup. And I was just like, whoa, he knows some shit. <laughs> so I took the third cup. And once again, I just felt super, super sick. And I was like, you know, I just can't surrender. So day two came around. And uh, this time I came with a whole different intention. I was sitting there all day meditating on how to just let go, how to let Iowa, you know, Mother Ayahuasca just guide me through this process. So wait a second. So you took the first day, you took three cups, and yeah. then you just felt sick the whole time, and nothing really happened. Nothing. So you just sat there feeling sick. sick. You didn't throw yeah. up, or just sort of. It was like, yeah, here just didn't. I couldn't like let it go. But you didn't feel any like you didn't get lost in your. And there was no psychedelic. You just felt sick. Just felt sick. Okay. Just felt sick. Yeah. Just felt super sick. Um, to the point where I couldn't walk. I was just laying there. Okay. And I let it go through everything. And, and meanwhile, people around you are having a different experience. Oh, they're, <laughs> they're having some crazy shit happen to them. Yeah, for sure. Okay. And I was looking at them and I'm like, you know, maybe this isn't for me. I was starting to question everything. I was like, what am I doing here? I was getting a lot of negative thoughts. So the next day came around. I let go, meditated, put in my journal what happened. And I started realizing, I was like, shit, I really have to let go. So second day came around. Shaman came by and he looks at me and he goes, today, today you only get one cup. He's like, that's all you need. He's like, I see you. I feel you. That's all you're getting. So I got the one cup. (laughs) And that's when we went to town. Hmm. That shit just took over me. The purging just automatically started coming out. I mean, I felt like all the demons and everything that was just holding me back was just, I was just letting go. And sorry to get technical, but are there just like, are there like just buckets around where you'll just go to, cause you're indoors, right? Yeah. Yeah. So I actually brought my own bucket. They, t- they told us to bring a bucket. They had buckets for you, but I brought like a cat litter bucket, which is like this big <laughs> and shit. And I was leaning on it. So I didn't have to like lay over. So I just had my head there and I was like, yeah, I'm comfy right now. <laughs> it worked out. But, um, yeah, I was purging, just going through it. And then like the visuals started to come in. Hmm. And it was so intense that I had to leave the room. So I went outside and it felt like I was in a rainforest in a whole different dimension. It was insane. And by intense, what do you mean that you had to leave the room? Like it was uncomfortable feeling or it was just, it was. 
yeah it was so uncomfortable the energy was so strong and they were they were smoking a, a sacred tobacco yeah. to help intensify and i guess the smell of it everything the combination of the whole energy in the room was just making me feel extremely anxious yes and as right. i mentioned i went through a lot of stages where my anxiety was just right yeah top notch so i had to leave and um when i left and i went when i went outside it was a full moon and it just started to take me away and um i was sitting there just looking out into the forest and i felt like i was in an amazon rainforest and a fucking jaguar just came up and the jaguar sat probably like 20 feet away from me but he didn't say anything he just sat there and it felt so real i was like if that's a bear i'm getting fucked up <laughs> like that's it i was like i'm so fucked up right now that i can't even walk i Did can't you even have, stand like the world all in your head to be like i understand like when you said that that's a bear because there's bears in jersey right yeah so, exactly like, so right. like right okay i was trying to figure out if i was actually hallucinating and if that was a bear but it just transformed into a jaguar but I was like, I trust this. I trust myself. I'm okay. Relax. Breathe. So I hit some quick breaths. And um, it was just there. And we were just staring each other in the eye. And, you know, surprisingly, a lot of the individuals that I know that did ayahuasca typically have, like, their spirit animal come up. And they speak with it. Hmm. Me and this jaguar had no conversation. We just sat there looking at each other. And um, I'm still waiting to figure out exactly what that meant because I know there's a big meaning behind it. But um yeah, I'm still waiting for the for the Jaguar to say what's up. <laughs> yeah. And so what are the things that cuz I mean, I'm I'm sure there's lots of people that are interested in ayahuasca. I I certainly am. What are the other things that you took from the experience? I mean, are there you said that it's the idea that you have every memory from your whole life is like just splayed out in front mm -hmm. of you. So um Obviously, like, you would have to do ayahuasca for, like, right. every single day to go through all those traumas and whatever's holding you back. But the one that the medicine picked out for me was um, I was holding on to the pain of my family. Hmm. And I didn't realize it, but, you know, every day I'd wake up, I would always think about, are they okay? What's going on? Just because through everything that we've been, I felt like I was holding on to their pain. Hmm. And I didn't know how to surrender and let go to live my own life. So ayahuasca showed me that and it brought up my family and it really just put me through a roller coaster of emotions from crying to being sad to anger to grief to happiness, joy. I just felt every single emotion until I got to a place where I was just in peace. Mm. And I saw my family there. We're all looking at each other and the medicine almost told me that it's okay. Mm. They're okay. You're okay. Just let go. Focus on yourself. And, um, yeah, that's what I did. And another thing it told me, too, was just to take care more of my body. Just because um, I am very, you know, health and fitness conscious, super into movement, nutrition, and whatnot. But sometimes I just don't know how to stop. So I would take my body, like, work out two, three times a day, beat it up, and just forget about recovery. So it was literally telling me, recover, so that you could go to the next step. Hmm. So, like, if you guys are looking for, like, a workout plan, hit up Ayahuasca. She's got what you need. <laughs> she hooked you up real do. quick. Yeah, real quick. But um, the craziest thing, too, that I didn't physically or visually see from Ayahuasca is that it took away 95% of my anxiety. You mean after the fact? Yeah. Oh, wow. 
So I would get super anxious before that. I didn't know how to control it. And then when I got out of that trip, I sat in a room full of people where I would normally feel anxious. And I was just, I'm chilling. And you felt the after effects now after all the, like, this is in August. So yeah, yeah, absolutely. As I feel great since. That's interesting. Yeah, I I went to a conference recently with a friend that was held at NYU, actually. And it was Mm -hmm. part of the NYU, like, science or the New York Science Festival. And you had um, five experts all about psychedelics. One Mm -hmm. was a professor, doctor at um, NYU. Another person who's a guy who specializes and goes in the rainforest and, and, you know, has a real relationship with these tribes and stuff where all this stuff started. And looking at psilocybin. Mm -hmm. uh, And they even had because the doctor is very interested in end of life treatment so right. people that get diagnosed with a you know a, 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 a cancer that's going to kill them and and the anxiety that comes from that and they actually had two patients one was a young guy about around our age who were part of this trial and they took some psilocybin um and it completely removed their anxiety about end of life and actually both of them recovered from their cancer and they were there in the audience and it was this fascinating thing to watch them speak very candidly. Said, you know, I'd never done psychedelics or anything like it. And I took this psilocybin and it just completely wiped away all that end of life anxiety and allowed me to heal. So it's just a really interesting thing because I think the way cannabis, there's all these stereotypes and ideas of like, oh, psychedelics, like you're going to wear a tie dye shirt and go off. But <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? But that there, that there is real healing properties to, to this stuff and you know, do, being done in a controlled environment. I think as there's more science that mm-hmm. shows what is actually going on, like it'd be interesting to know, like, what is it with ayahuasca? It's obviously uh, reformatting chemicals and responses in your brain that then, you know, last after the experience. Anyway, it's, just, it's really interesting stuff. Yeah, for sure. And, you know, I've done psilocybin as well. Yeah. <clears throat> I've led ceremonies. I've used it to actually heal men. And it changed their life completely. It changed my life too as well. When I Did you do psilocybin before the ayahuasca? Yeah, yeah. So I was actually told by a friend of mine to experience your first psychedelic, which would be psilocybin, which was the easiest, just so you could get kind of like a base, a baseline of what you're about to go into because ayahuasca was like times a million. Easiest meaning it's just not, what is like, I know what you mean sort of, but what, what, do, you, what do you mean by easier? Like you're not going to get sick, that you're not going to see, I mean. Exactly. So like the visuals aren't as intense yeah. and they say psilocybin is more of a heart opening kind of plant medicine. Hmm. So you're more grateful, more loving. That's why people a lot of the times probably do it at festivals just because the, the vibration is more like a, a higher uplifting hmm. as opposed to ayahuasca. It's like, we're going right to work. We're demons. going to the deep shit. Yeah. yeah. Like, where's it at? Right. So, um. Yeah, I've tried that first, and uh, it was uh, an amazing experience as well. And I've done animal medicines also, which have been crazy as well. What are animal medicines? So you have plant medicines like ayahuasca, yeah. like peyote, like psilocybin. You know, some people consider cannabis a plant medicine as well yeah. because of all the healing properties. And I've used cannabis for a long, par- long part of my life, so I definitely believe it is. But animal medicines, the one that I did is... um. <clears throat> called combo and the shamans go to the rainforest and i've seen this shit it's crazy it's unbelievable but they actually sing music like a song into the rainforest and they sing and they sing and they sing 
And then these frogs come out of the rainforest, jump on their hand, and it's one of the most poisonous animals in the rainforest. Because mm -hmm. any other animal that touches this frog is going to touch the venom, and that's it. But when they sing the song, the frog just sits and does nothing. Mm. They take a knife and they scrape the venom off of it. They prepare it. And then they administer to us. So I actually had my skin burned. I had four or five points burned. And they took the actual venom and they put it on my burn. Hmm. And they let it sit there. This is in, you went, this is in South America somewhere. Or this was actually in San Diego oh, when wow. I went for the desert retreat. Oh, yeah. And the crazy thing is combo is actually illegal. It's legal to do. And um, you get the same, it's cra as crazy as it sounds, but like I felt the spirit of the animal come over me and I felt a heartbeat in my neck like a frog. My face swelled up from all the venom like to the point where I look like a frog. And um, I don't know if you ever meditated or did some breath work, but sometimes when you get really, really deep into it and you have so much oxygen, your hands kind of lock up. Yeah. I, you know what I'm talking we, about? We, in drama school, we had to do a lot of voice work. A lot of voice work is just opening up the body for breath. Yeah. And we do these exercises. Absolutely. The claw thing. <laughs> yeah, you know? exactly. I remember I do that sometimes like before a show and like doing my first entrance. Like, oh God, I got too much breath going through me. I'm getting the claw. This isn't right. Give me some gloves. Quick, quick. Like I got to hide this shit. What a weird thing, right? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. So it was exactly that. I felt that. They locked up. Heartbeat right here. Just like a frog. Just beating. But they give you not enough to kill you, obviously. Just like enough to... Like if you took a, if you took too much of this venom, it would kill you. Oh, yeah. For sure. Right. Absolutely. Okay. Um, the crazy thing, once again, you know, the shaman feels and senses how much you need. Hmm. So they do like a test point just to see how your body reacts to it. They do one. And um, judging by then how you feel and the energy that you give off, they give you more. So, hmm. of course, I got a couple extra dots. <laughs> it's like the couple extra glasses of uh, ayahuasca. Yeah, he needs yeah, a little more. <laughs> he needs a little more. But um, uh. it was just 20 minutes of purging. So I went to the bathroom. I puked. And um, <laughs> it felt like I did like five years of meditation. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. I've been I've been on a different vibration since and as crazy as it sounds like now when I wake up I just laugh to myself randomly at stuff and I'm just like life is good. Hmm. Like since those plant medicine ceremonies I've been able to create a baseline where I just feel grateful every single day and that's how I start my day. No matter what, even if I had a shitty day, I wake up baseline hmm. and I'm good. I remember at the uh, at this lecture that was really fascinating. One of the guy that was constantly going down to South America and spending time with these um, these people, uh, he said the most amazing thing is they really believe the part of this medicine is so they can continue the conversation with the forests, mm. with nature, because it's trying to tell them what to do and how to how to live. And I found that really beautiful because so much of our lives now in cities surrounded by concrete that's completely gone. Yeah. And how as human beings, I think that's a big part of um, of what it means to be a human being and to like feel good and to live with homeostasis, to have a relationship to nature. And you see these these tribes that are that that's a huge part of their their everyday life. Mm -hmm. It's a little conversation with the forest. So, yeah, for sure. And I feel like we're all connected. Yeah, without a doubt. And being involved with these plant medicines, like I was speaking to nature 
and now my involvement with nature is completely different hmm. and how i see and as you could see like yeah right it Have shows plants in here yeah, yeah. It just uh it sets a different vibration and it's funny that you mentioned the city because i spoke with a professor one time and he was mentioning why the city creates so much anxiety for individuals and especially in new york due to the fact that there's so many skyscrapers hmm. as individuals when you're walking through it it's almost activating the flight or flight or fight response yeah right because you look up and it's like i just can't get out everywhere you look is just skyscrapers in the sky yeah. And we are naturally programmed to like, like, you know, vast landscapes. So when you go see the mountains, there's a reason why you automatically feel relaxed. Yeah, totally. I think a big part in New York too, for me is just the vibration of everything else. That like too. Yeah. The fact that like, I'm feeling anxious and the person just walked by me is also feeling anxious mm -hmm. and that whole vibrational frequency and plus all the cars and all the, just the whole, you know, the whole sense of it. Um, yeah, it's, it's really interesting. I'm really passionate about all this stuff in the sense of, of, of like taking these, uh, these experiences and opening them up to a larger audience and people that would normally roll their eyes. Yeah. Um, and I'm not saying that everybody should go off and take ayahuasca or, you know, smoke cannabis or something, but like even the breathing thing, the idea of having the average person who's maybe just never had you know, didn't have to go to drama school or wasn't interested in, in, in doing this stuff, but to have them experience what it's like to have a lot of breath going through you, just having that experience, which of course is completely healthy and non-toxic. Yeah. And just to know that there's different ways that we can live in our bodies and our minds that, I don't know, might loosen up some things for them or open up some things. I think that's, that's something I'm really, really interested in about. I think it's a lot of why people that are in the cannabis space are trying to kind of destigmatize the plant and, and to let them let people know that, you know, there's 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 some healing to be done here and it doesn't have to be necessarily psychedelic or, or bad for you, quite the opposite. Right. So now from from your experience with obviously being in, in the cannabis industry, was there a time where you you used the plant and you were like, shit, this is actually healing me? Was there a time that you remember where you felt yeah, absolutely. I mean, to be honest, uh, you know, I used, I used, I, I smoked cannabis in, in high school. Uh, I was never really like a stoner per se. I yeah. never, uh, but I, I, I still suffer from the stigma of thinking that I was doing something bad and that this was like obviously against the law mm. and, and not really think of it at necessarily as a plant sort of rolling my eyes. The people thought, oh yeah, people just say it's a natural plant Yeah, whatever it's drugs. So, so now having become more educated about what it is, and also, of course, going down the CBD realm, which again is non-psychoactive, uh, I've begun to think a lot more about the healing properties of it and understanding the endocannabinoid system, that series of receptors that run through our body that cannabinoids, which are in cannabis, uh, interact with to balance out that system. And so you're balancing out a lot of the and that system is responsible for many of our most basic functions like appetite, sleep, mood, mm -hmm. etc. So once I kind of really got a sense of that, then I started to really think about it more of as a wellness tool. And I think that I think that's the case for lots of people. Like that's why the NYU conference of the science fair was so interesting because you had people that are like scientists and doctors speaking about this stuff in a very uh, educated, non-emotional, controlled way. And you start to see, wow, there's really something legitimate to this stuff and not just this sort of underground network. And I think that's really powerful because it, 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 it allows people that normally wouldn't cross over to the other side to sort of reconsider. And the end goal is then that they just get to 
experience the feeling of that, whether it's like I said, taking cannabis or even just having more breath in them yeah. and all the things that will help loosen up and open up for them. And if you think about that, if you have most people in the world starting to do that, it might change the way our whole world functions. I guess that's the ultimate goal. Right. Absolutely. And I totally agree with that. I mean, it's been helping me tremendously with, of course, anxiety and just being more centered, yeah, more grounded. But, you know, cannabis has been around for years, right. hundreds of years. Yeah. We see an ancient text that it was used and whatnot. Why do you believe it's now just coming to light? Yeah, it's a good and question. And why it wasn't... I mean, we all talk, all these conferences where I meet other people in the cannabis space, we all, you know, there's there's thousands and thousands of years of anecdotal evidence of, of cannabis working. There's mm. just not the science because this stuff has been illegal for so long. So people haven't been able to study it under, you know, a federally funded... Um, it's a really good question. I don't know what the sort of tipping point was. I mean, there's been things like the farm bill that recently was signed by Trump, which allowed um, basically anybody to grow hemp before you had to have a license and you mm-hmm. had certain permits given per state. So so that's opened up. Um, it's a really good question, like what the tipping point was that that um, that suddenly made people... Th- want to want to legalize um i mean certainly legalization of in places like california and Oregon right, right. And stuff have opened up the conversation but why that happened now uh i don't know it's a it's a it's an interesting question do you do you believe perhaps the government has something to do with you know why it wasn't brought to light and maybe some Issues with regards to taxation and, and whatnot. Oh, absolutely, yeah. And I mean, I think what's really interesting now with regards to hemp in particular, you know, hemp is so much more than just CBD oil. I mean, it's, yeah. it's you can hemp make socks, you can make this, it's, yeah, everything. It's hemp-derived all plastic alternatives. I mean, I think you can even, like, have cars that run off uh, hemp. So it's <laughs> getting ready to disrupt a whole lot of industries, that's crazy, and that's yeah. a lot of money. So certainly there's the, the political, you know, socioeconomic part of it as well. Yeah. Um, I think it's a really interesting, exciting time for... I went to a, 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 a conference recently called Luxury Meets Cannabis, and there was a guy there who specialized in data science mm-hmm. and specifically looking at cannabis now. And he, he basically prophesized that he thinks that the, 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 the introduction of hemp now is going to be one of the largest industrial shifts in the history of our yeah. species. <laughs> I mean, that's a that's a pretty bold statement, you know? But when you I mean, consider all the things that hemp can do, it's disrupting just so many different industries. So right. it's interesting. That's less, of course, on the medicinal side, more of the... Right. But, uh, but yeah, it's an interesting question. Why now is the time where all this stuff is kind of coming to a head? Makes you think of Malcolm Gladwell's book, The Tipping Point. You ever read that? No, I haven't. Tell me more. It's an amazing uh, book where he just looks at why certain trends happen and why they happen in this particular place at this particular time. And he comes up with a theory for why that happens. Mm -hmm. Um, And I won't go over it all now, but it involves different people that that serve different functions. Some people are like connectors. I, I haven't read the book in a while, but it's it's the idea how we all sort of play a role and eventually you get enough word of mouth and eventually the thing tips and it mm. becomes explosive. Uh, you know, it's like the same with fashion. Why certain trends that were cool in the 80s suddenly come right. back? Like, why does that happen? Why does it happen like this pocket of the country or like this part of New York? You know, what is... And it started with that little seed of that one person maybe wearing it down the street. It's uh, it's a really interesting book. 
because you can apply it to, to, to anything. You know, it's amazing. It's, it's a great point that you brought up, but it's, it's truly amazing when you have that idea that, you know, there's one person that did this. Yeah. And then it just kind of trickled into the next, into the next, into the next. And then everybody in the world's doing it. Yeah. That's crazy. What's your, um, just a really easy question to answer. What's your dream? <laughs> just like throwing out a massive question out there. Um, I mean, when you, when you daydream about uh, whether it's your life or whether it's also we, the rivals or yeah, yeah. what's your, what's your dream? So I've been taking a different perspective on that word and truthfully, I just kind of stopped using it. Hmm. Dreaming or dream. I don't believe in a dream anymore. I have a mission now. Hmm. And, um, you know, dreams for me now are just dreams, just thoughts. But if you don't put any action behind it, that's all it is, just a dream. And, um, you know, ever since I've been putting action into these thoughts, my mission surfaced up. And, you know, my mission, truthfully, is just to be a better son, just to be a better brother. You know, when the time comes around, be a better husband, a better father, a better lover, so that I could walk on this earth and inspire other men to do the same. Because truthfully, my mission is to change the world one man at a time. What became your, how did you become passionate about focusing on, you know, on men and, and moving that needle forward? Yeah, I mean, so it, it spins back to my childhood days, as I mentioned, my father just yeah, right. went through so much shit that he couldn't express. And I saw those same, what do you call it? domesticated trends that he was going through happened to me. And I was just like, that's not going to be me. So mm -hmm. I started doing deep, deep men's work on myself. And like I mentioned, reading meditation, the, the plant medicines, whatnot, you name it. It was about five, six years of going through this. And, um, men just started gravitating towards me. They kept reaching out. They're like, Hey man, like you just see the world differently. What can I do to feel this way? Or I'm going through this. Can you recommend me something to do? And, you know, at the time, like, you know, my friends, why not? Let me just give you even this information out. And it just kept happening more and more and more and more and more. And um, it was funny. Jose and I, I think this is the reason why we met, was to build the modern renaissance man. And we met at the cybersecurity company. And we, we met pretty much in the kitchen. And we started speaking about books. We love reading. And Jose was like, hey, man, I want to start a book club. And I was like, holy shit, I'm about that. I fucking read on the daily, man. I'll bring any books you want. Give me a title. I'll read that shit in a day, <laughs> right? So uh, we came up with a name together, and he invited me. And uh, he invited a couple other guys, but nobody showed up except mm -hmm. me. So I was like, he was kind of down a little bit from it. And I felt some type of way, but I was like, you know what? I read my book. You read your book. Let's discuss it. We're here. Let's do it. We talked, and it was just powerful between us like what we just shared in that moment. So I was like, yo, we got to do this, man. So we redid it again. This time, two guys showed up. And we invited like 10, 15. But I was like, you know what, fuck it. Let's just do it again. Let's just go through it. Yeah, just show up. And truthfully, Nick, like <clears throat> when we sat there with these men and we took the masks off and we just spoke about like deep shit, I left that room like vibrating on a whole different energy. Like, you know, when you go to a concert and you come back and you're still like, yeah. oh, you know, singing and just yeah. wired. I felt that. And I'm just like, holy shit, hmm. we need this. So me and Jose sat down 
Got a nice little cigar. I took like one puff. Of course, I was coughing up a storm because that's just not for me. <laughs> but uh, we're out there, you know, just doing our thing. And I'm like, <clears throat> why don't we throw a larger meetup with some men, invite our friends, do some meditation, some breath work, something that they're not accustomed to, and see how it goes. So, you know, I opened up my Rolodex and my network, got a space, got a pro MMA fighter to come by, lead the, the breathwork session. He had the Tibetan bowl. So we did some of that. And um, I invited a lot of the men that were like, you know, just talking to me about the deep shit and everybody showed up packed. This was what this was a few months ago, right? So yeah, yeah. Yeah. This right, was like right after the art, the men's session that we did. You were going to have it, right? Mm -hmm. Actually, yeah. that was one before before that. Oh, before that. Yeah, it was like Got the it. first first okay, one. The first one. It's probably like nine, ten months ago. I can't remember. Sometime Got in it. May. Okay. And we had about 15 men just in a room, closed the door, and we just went around talking about some deep shit. And the turning point in my life was um, when one of the guys that I met on the street at a at a clothing store, he was actually, uh, he is a designer that works, used to work with like Raekwon, Wu-Tang, and I think Biggie, and his clothing line is huge in Japan. He came up to me, he looked me right in my eye, in my face, in my eyes, and he says, this is the most powerful meeting I've been to for as long as I can remember. Mm. And this guy's in his 40s, his 50s, I'm 27. And he goes, you changed my life. Mm. And I just kind of stood there. I didn't know how to take that in. I was kind of like questioning, is this really me right now? Like... I never had that confidence really be thrown at me like so. And when he said that, that, that was literally like the changing point. And me and Jose were just vibrating so hard. And all the men were just, they didn't want to leave. Mm. We were just all connecting and hugging and just talking about shit. And it was powerful. So I was like, fuck, we got to do another one. And that's where we threw the second one, which was a lot, you know, more structured. We had sponsors. We had meditation, breath, or guest speakers you know, vulnerable discussions. And when we did that one, whoa. Imagine guys walk into a gym. Some of them are even telling us they're nervous. They don't want to like, right. some of them didn't want to show up. They're just pulling back. Yeah. And everybody's kind of like have their own clicks. One guy's sitting here, he's not talking. And to see it after four hours where everybody's just vibrating, got men hugging, going into some deep, deep shit. It was just so inspiring, man. It was... Mm. It was life-changing, and I realized I was like, I need to do this. Yeah, I mean, that's largely the impetus for this podcast is I thought back to some of the most like meaningful, rich moments in my life, and a lot of times it's just when you sit down with a friend and have, you just get into, sometimes back in a really honest, vulnerable chat over coffee or a beer mm. or lunch or whatever, and you just leave that feeling much more human and seen and inspired and just, yeah, like fired up and, Yeah, because you realize that... I don't know. You just realize the complexity of, of, of everyone else. And that a lot of people will go through the same stuff, even though it feels like we're the only people that, that are going through it when it's happening to us. And there's just something about that, that I find, uh, very inspiring and, uh, very healthy. What are some of the things, what are some of the patterns you see, I guess, in your conversations with men The you know, what are some of the patterns you see that are, that are holding men back and the, the things that help release them? So definitely the biggest thing that's holding him back is the the standards that society put on men. You know, you hear the sayings like man up or don't be a bitch. Yeah, men don't right. cry. Like 
men can express you got to be strong and tough and that's not true man like we're human right and um you know the the biggest issue that i see in men currently is that they don't feel seen and they don't have a safe space to just open up and of course you got you know your boys but sometimes like you don't have those boys that you really sit down and be like hey man like i'm hurting right now yeah like i just want to release i want to cry and like how many of your friends are would never shed a tear in front of their boys just because like they don't want to be seen as that guy right but they need that shit right because all the things you've been going through life whether it was you know your father did something whether somebody in school did something it gets stored in your body and if you don't release that properly it's going to keep building up building up and you're going to start building triggers yeah absolutely perfect example relationships you build these triggers up and then your girl said something that your mom used to say they used to trigger you and now you're out here exploding on your girl right i remember i'll never forget the story that i forget who told me it but uh it, it, it described like when a, if you're in like in south africa in like the middle of the forest and you see like a, a gazelle running from a cheetah mm-hmm. and it's running as fast as it can it darts right it darts left and it finally outruns the cheetah and it survives and it looks around and the cheetah's gone it'll stop there and it'll shake itself vigorously for about three or four seconds and that literally is the way of the animal shaking out its trauma. I mean, I even mm. see my dog does that. Uh, we as human beings, we're not programmed to do that. So that when you experience trauma, a lot of it does get stored in your body. Uh, not only your psyche, but literally your body. That's why a lot of people, when they get really deep body work, massage work, a lot of them get emotional. They yeah. start to giggle or something. It's literally the body releasing. So I think that's a really interesting thing that most people don't don't know. But that, that this stuff does get trapped in the body. And so sometimes you literally got to like, it's like almost like going to the bathroom. Like sometimes you just got to have a good cry. Literally just like yeah, yeah. the way you got to go pee or poop. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think um, that's why chiropractic now is just coming to light and it's becoming very popular because, you know, their methodology is like all the energy that's stored within your body is creating all that pain and they get to kind of tap in into that energy and help you release it. Yeah to make you feel totally different. So you think it's like a cyclical thing where many men don't feel seen because they obviously experiencing all these emotions, but they don't feel like they can show them. And so it becomes this sort of like vicious cycle Mm -hmm. type thing. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. And they just, they just don't feel safe. Right. Because they feel like if, like, as I mentioned, they express, they're going to be seen as weak when in reality, that's the strength is when you release. And, um, you know, I've been in these circles, I've been in these ceremonies and releasing has literally changed my life to a point where now I'm finally able to be present most of the time in my day. And the biggest validation, as I mentioned, I went to the experience last week, the MDM experience. For those that don't know, it's just a mastermind. And when I walked into the room, people knew I showed up and I didn't even say a word. Hmm. And I had literally people hit me in the DM. They're like, your presence was just... I never felt that. Mm. Whatever you do, we got your support. And that's for me just releasing all these traumas and being able to be in the moment, to be in the now. Yeah. Yeah, I'm 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 also really passionate about this stuff. And again, it relates to it relates to what we we're talking just talking about with regards to plant medicine, you know, mm-hmm. the idea of making this feel accessible to somebody who normally wouldn't go down that path. Right. And so, you know, not like being the dude in like the tie-dye shirt and be like, yeah, come into my palace, <laughs> yeah. man. And like, you know, but the idea of just being quote unquote, a sort of, I don't like to use the word normal, but you know, something that they would identify with and be like, listen, come on in and let's do some of this stuff. I think that's really powerful because I think it'll start to 
open it up to a larger audience. Because I, I yeah. totally understand that most, I remember when we did, we met at that men's session that Humble Bloom put together and there were some guys from like the Mankind Project mm -hmm. and they did the thing. Okay, all the guys, we're going to split up in two groups, we're going to go up to the roof and you can already see the guys being like, oh God, are we going to yeah, like yeah, get yeah. in a circle and like... And I, having come from drama school, I was like, man, this is easy for me. I did three years of this crap. Um, but for most people, it's really terrifying, understandably. Yeah. Um, but you do see, once they kind of like get over that hump, um, people really connect to their kind of inner humanity. And uh, and when they, I think they follow the example of other guys, they're just jumping in and be like, okay, let's do it. Yeah. Uh, and then it becomes, and you really feel, you feel the liberating feel of it. Absolutely. Um, and you said something very interesting too about the uh, stigmas that like you see the guy in a tie-dye shirt like kind of right. you know, calling you and of course when you see him for the first time you're kind of like oh shit what does this guy got but I'm sure his intentions are typically good he's just really tapped in and that's what we're trying to do in the men's space is like when you see men's work and the deep work men are kind of like whoa you know I don't want to be a part of that because like I don't want to be seen as weak or I don't need that I'm okay so what we're trying to do different is we're trying to take like men's lifestyle and the shit that men are interested in. Yeah. Take the deep men's work and be the bridge to connect the two. Right. Absolutely. So, you know, one thing I always like to say is like, you know, for a lot of these events, like we kind of lure these men in with like the cool shit, the lifestyle, the movement, the fitness. <laughs> yeah. Once they're in, it's like, all right, lock the doors. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> we got them. All right, guys, here we go. Everybody going to start like, oh, what did I get myself yeah, into? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, we don't go that crazy. We yeah, take it no, light, but. It. No, it's really important. I mean, I have nothing against the guy who wears the tie-dye and barefoot and whatever. I mean, like, but, I'm all about... But I'm talking about, like, yeah. with in terms of when this is a mission and that you think of it in, you know, a way that you want to appeal to as many people as possible, there's little strategies you can exactly. go about doing yeah. it where you can get the same point across. But just, yeah, I love that lure people. <laughs> okay, they're in. Close the door. <laughs> yeah, right, right. But, so, um, yeah, we're trying to bring that style aspect and, you know, just mix spirit with style. That's cool. And combine the two so that men just have a little easier transition into yeah. work because this is a podcast where i'm at least initially just interviewing men and specifically men who are entrepreneurs or mm -hmm. struck out on their own some way I'd like to ask the question what what does it mean to you to be a man today what is a man what is masculinity for me personally being a man is being of service to the community. I feel like that is what makes a man. You know, you see a boy, a boy would sit at the table and just come in and grab his plate and eat first. Hmm. A man walks up to the table, make sure the boy eats, make sure the wife eats, make sure the animals eat, and then he steps up to the plate. That for me is what I feel is a man. Hmm. You know, a boy wanders in the world searching while a man knows what he wants and being of service and being of service. Yeah. Yeah. I know it's, 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 it's not a cliche, but I mean, you've heard it many times, but I think it's really true. It's like the happiest people. I think sometimes the people that are happiest, not only in their personal life, but also in their jobs, are the people that largely helping other people yeah, of service, absolutely. you know, and, uh, and you know, sometimes I mean, it sounds antithetical antithetical and something it's like well i'm just constantly serving other people that's where's the, the, that's where it's at that's where it's at <laughs> that's right? the key to happiness and even if you think about you know a lot of men ask me about relationship advice and it's like well why are these relationships going like that because a lot of the times the men go into relationships trying to get as opposed to trying to give yeah 
You know, if you have two people going into a relationship constantly giving, it's just love going back and forth. And there is no sacrifice in love. Mm. You never could not not have love. Like you're abundant in that shit. You could just keep giving love. And the key word, keep giving love. It's going to come right back and it's going to give you that happiness. So, you know, I think a man is just in his place when he's giving. Hmm. Whether it's to family, to business, to community, whatever you classify as community. But as long as he's being of service, that's what a man is to me. So I have to say that I'm glad I caught you for this podcast before <laughs> Wednesday because on Wednesday you are taking off to Bali yeah. for about a month, is it? Or, or so an indefinite period of time. Yeah, definitely a period. So I bought a one-way ticket, so who knows? So yeah. I'm actually, you know, once again, the last year has just been me stepping into my power and just letting the world take me. So however I'm out there, I'm going to be out there. Can but. you tell us a little bit about what brought you to go there and what you're plan what you're doing out there and just yeah for sure so um jose was definitely a big part of that because he's been to bali before he spoke about it and he's like yo this is the place you got to be so jose is a, is a mutual friend of ours and jose uh is the co-founder of the modern renaissance man and has his own company as well so just some context so, awesome yeah forgot to mention that. yeah no it's all right <laughs> but um yeah jose was um moving out to Bali with his, with his fiance. And he said like, you know, you should come out here. And I just kept once again, meeting people that went to Bali for like three months straight, you know? And they just kept mentioning that, yeah, I went to Bali and it changed my life. I found myself. Mm. I went to Bali. I got my business ideas. I went to Bali. I met the people that I needed to meet to take me to the next level. I went to Bali. I did all the healing I needed to do and release to be the person I am today. So I started diving deeper into, in, in terms of spirituality, they say Bali is like the hub. And there's, of course, a huge community of entrepreneurs. Right. There's huge meditation centers, yoga, Muay Thai, just shit to work on yourself. So, you know, going through the changes that I'm going through, I realized that now's the time to do this shit. And there was one big turning point, which happened last month or two months ago, that really like just made me say, fuck it, I'm gonna just buy a ticket and do it, was when I went to a wake, one of our family friends passed away. And she just, one night got sick, something happened, then went to the hospital, found a tumor, <sighs> and she didn't make it. Just completely out of nowhere. Out of nowhere, Yeah. no man. clue, she had no signs of anything. Maybe she had signs, but who knew? Right. So I go to the wake, and I'm standing there, and I'm looking at her. Just, you know, thinking about memories and whatnot, life, and it's just like, shit, like, it just happened in the blink of a second. And this old lady walks up to me. I don't know where, and she goes, what you're thinking about now, do it. Because this could be you. Hmm. And I was literally thinking about my Bali trip. Right. And I was like, should I go to Bali? Should I go to California to do the men's work? Should I do the experience? And she's like, whatever you're going through, do it. I looked her in the eye. I said, Grandma, thank you so much, whoever you are. I went home that same day, and I bought a ticket to all three. Oh, wow. To California, to Bali, to the experience. And that literally just set me up for it. <clears throat> for this path. So I went to California to do deep men's work on myself, on other men, came back to the experience to understand how to properly 
put that together so that I could help other men. And now I'm going to Bali to actually be working on that. So when I come back, the men could get the help they need. Hmm. Amazing. I got to start. I'm, I'm looking for some signs here. <laughs> <laughs> I got to get some grandma coming up to me. It's like, what yeah, are you thinking right now? <laughs> Go do it. Yeah, right. It was crazy. And I couldn't believe that shit. And I was like, what is she talking about? And then it just made sense. There are those moments in life though, where you hear about somebody who passed away or had some, you know, and it really, it really does bring it into like into context. Yeah. The fact that, I mean, again, it's sort of a cliche, but it's true. You know, this is like, as far as we know, this is one, one time here. And sometimes it just seems so easy and so freeing to think that and other times we get caught in the minutia of everyday life. And like, you know, you're like, but I can't do that. I got the job and I got this. And that. Yeah, exactly. But sometimes it just seems so simple and so pure and, I think it's really great to follow those impulses because you know it's not going to be you know you know you it's not going to be like in that sweet spot forever. Then you'll get veered off and like right. thinking about the minutia. So when you're in it, just to act on it. And once you've done it, like book the ticket. Too late. You know, you're <laughs> yeah, going. That's it. That's it. Non-refundable. <laughs> I think there's a lot of power in that. Yeah. Um, I think back to some. I remember when I, I remember when I went through a really terrible breakup after college, and I felt really down. And and I mean, this is a pales in comparison. But I remember I was like, I want to learn how to ride a motorcycle. I get my motorcycle license. So that day I called the guy who taught me how to drive and he obviously does motorcycle, not obviously, but he was always really big into motorcycles too. Booked our thing the that following day. It was like also like October, November starting to get cold, not a deal. Anyway, within a month, I had my license. And I thought back, I was like, oh my God, I just got my motorcycle license. That's kind of crazy. Like thinking back, like, like that's kind of crazy what just happened. But it was just for just following that impulse when I had it and off you go. I haven't ridden a bike since. Uh, let it be <laughs> just known, got the license and I was like, I yeah, got the I'm license good. made me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> but um, did you ever think maybe like the universe has your back? And yeah, you push you I, to think do that? I think about that. Yeah, absolutely. Because, um, you know, a lot of individuals that I know that ride motorcycles, it's a form of meditation. For oh, them. absolutely. Especially when you're on the bike and you just kind of feel like it's just you and the machine and you got full control over it and you're just going down and just kind of peace. I have a friend who's always been into motorcycles and dreamt about them and yeah. he's been doing really well with his business and he finally got a bike and literally the moment he stepped on it and off, off he went, he's like, okay, my life's changed forever. Never not having a bike. Like <laughs> yeah. it just, it's just, it just fit like a puzzle, yeah. you know, for him. Uh, so, you know, it's like, there's many things in life. I guess it's just, you, you, as long as you do them before you're, you no longer can, then now, do you That's have awesome. any routines per se that you do on a day-to-day basis where it helps to calm your mind or kind of relax? Like, do yeah. you actually meditate or do I do you some journal? breath work, like some breath of fire stuff. Um, I also, I'm a, I'm, I, I exercise, which is a huge part of it. Like just getting the heart rate going. Yeah. Um, having a routine. I also recently started to, um, to get like meal prep which it just I, I i was actually a joke i've entered such a structured part of my life now where like i know exactly what i'm gonna eat <laughs> it's good <laughs> it's man. it's not very sexy but it's <laughs> it, it really it works you know what i mean like two hours to this part of the business then another two hours to this part of the business so at the end of the day you've kind of checked off a little bit mm-hmm. of every box otherwise you just find that just time gets away from you and these things don't get done and and uh and so in, in a way having this very regimented lifestyle uh, allows you to have more freedom in a way in your mind because it doesn't allow you to kind of trip over these things that normally right. you trip over. It allows you that those things are done, so let's focus on the other stuff. It kind of opens up the horizon. So that's so, the stuff I do. I've, 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 I I want to get more into um, meditation. I really want to get into transcendental meditation and learn more about that. 
Um, I've done some, uh, um, what, what's the, you know, where you just focus on your breath, just mindfulness. Yeah. But I'm, I'm interested in TM just because I've had some friends that have really been changed by it. I've also read things on the internet, like you got to pay $2,000 to go to some guru who gives you like your little mantra and you just look it up <laughs> on the internet or something. Yeah, but yeah. I'm really interested in that, uh, uh, that. Yeah, I've actually never, I don't think I've ever tried TM, but I typically just sit down and just breathe. Yeah. And right. just get into it and just breathe. Usually do about an hour a day of meditation. Yeah. Do you do it in the morning? Yeah, first thing. Well, t- my routine is I do, uh, I wake up, I have lemon water. Yep. With salt, Himalayan pink salt right. for the electrolytes just to get my body awake and rehydrated after a long day of recovery or a long night of recovery. Then I jump right into movement just to get, you know, the heart rate up, get it pumping. And so what does that mean? You'll do like some, you'll take like a run or do some stretching? Like I just hit, I hit the gym. And oh, you go to the gym, right? Yeah, yeah. Okay, got just it. movement at the gym. And right. um, typically my tool of choice is the kettlebell. Yes, just, I've seen the videos just, of that. Yeah, that's yes. just my thing. And I love doing it. It's, it's a full body workout. And in terms of total human optimization, the kettlebell is probably by far the most optimal tool to use. Yeah. You could use battle ropes. You could use a mace and whatnot. But those are great. But a kettlebell changes your whole physique. Hmm. And the fact that you're holding one forces you to stabilize one side of the body. But also the other side of the body is stabilized as well to make sure you balance it properly. Yeah. Right. So it gives you flexibility, mobility muscle endurance stamina everything in one yeah some of these kettlebell flows that you've done i've also seen other people kind of amazing yeah it's it's a good time man like once you get in it like you just feel like a beast and you can be really creative with it too yeah like there's so much there's so much shit like every week i see a new guy do some shit i'm like how the yeah who thought of this shit right yeah um then i come back do a quick 30 to an hour meditation once i do that i journal i do um Typically, 10 things I'm grateful for, 10 things I'm grateful for that I don't have yet. Huh, yeah. So it's like a manifesting um, technique. And then I jump in a cold shower. Oh, yeah. Well, so you do it. Yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of good stuff in there. Yeah, oh, those not, are all. I'm not done yet. Oh, oh <laughs> there's more. Excuse me. <laughs> once I do the cold shower, I then come back and I make sure to read as well. Okay. So once I hit the reading, I was like, I'm good. Wow. And then I have fruit for breakfast. Um. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've, I, I'm fascinated by all those things, like the cold, cold water therapy stuff. Mm-hmm. What's that, that dude who's Wim Hof? Wim Hof, yeah. yeah. Um, He's the man. Wim Wim Hof. Wim Hof, yeah. Yeah. Anybody who's listening, go Google that. He, he just <laughs> like he does retreats, right? Where he'll just have a bunch of people. You just go barefoot through like the Arctic or something, or or is he in somewhere in Scandinavia or something? But I mean, like, now he's he's pretty much traveling everywhere. Yeah, he's a huge figure now. Yeah, but for those that don't understand, he um. He's known as the Iceman, and I'm sure many of you guys have seen him on, like, the History Channel. He's ran a fucking marathon in the desert without drinking any water Hmm. because of the breath work and how he's able to control his body. And, you know, people thought it was crazy, so scientists actually gave him a specific, um, what was it, some sort of bacteria that's super, super bad for a human. They injected him with it. He literally went home, did his breath work, whatever, came back, totally gone. Amazing. Does he have a specific um, form of breath work? Yeah, so there is, now it's popularized as Wim Hof breathing technique. Okay. But it dates back to like ancient, ancient China. And I believe um, 
the Chinese that actually did it, from what I've known, is that they went to the mountains and to make a initiation to become a monk or a man, whatever it was, they would put a cold sheet, a wet sheet of you while you're in the fucking mountains. So it's cold as shit, snow. They put a wet sheet over you and you have to sit there and breathe and do the breath work until the sheet actually becomes warm and you wow. just don't feel it. So imagine how much breathing they had to do it out there. Wow. So he kind of took it, made it more popular, simplified it a little bit, and now you could actually do it. And um, it's amazing. It really is. You know, from my experience, like, if you go in a cold shower and do it, yeah, the water hits and it feels warm. And um, they say that the breath work, when you tap really into it, and especially when you do, like, three rounds, you release your body's natural DMT. So there's DMT stored in your body. What is DMT? Um, I mean, you don't do the acronym for it, but like, yeah, what they, is it responsible so for? They say DMT is released when somebody dies, oh. and that is actually like the gateway to the spirit world. Oh, interesting. So if you think about psychedelics or any drugs you've taken, like the drug doesn't bring something external; it just activates what's already in your body. Interesting, right? Right. So when you take ayahuasca, it's kind of like cannabinoids, like we were talking exactly. about cannabis. Yeah, yeah. exactly. It just acts, activates it. Yeah. So when you do ayahuasca, per se, it releases the DMT chemical. That's why you're able to kind of start visualizing things and tap huh. into shit. So you could actually get into that state just through breathing. Huh. And I've been there before many times. Happens maybe at least once a week. And when I get really tapped into it, like I totally forget where I am. And I start like visualizing and seeing some wild shit. So what is the survival mechanism of why we have DMT? And why is it? why do we have to work so hard to have it activated? Like what's its purpose? That's a great thing. I don't yeah. I don't think there's actually a solidified answer for that just yeah. yet. I think there's a lot of theories. Right. But I think the purpose is for us to kind of go to the afterlife, if that mm. sounds. That's amazing about how they injected the bacteria in him and he just makes me think, did you see I watched recently the um uh Free Solo, the documentary about the oh, guy who climbs you know, I forget his name now, but who yeah. just climbs with no rope or anything. He's extraordinary. And, um, and they take him to a, uh, you know, uh, like a CAT scan. They put him through a mm -hmm. machine. They do a scan of his brain and they look at his amygdala. You know, the amygdala is the part of the brain that's responsible basically for the fight or flight response. It's like people that have anxiety attacks have an overactive amygdala. Well, they take a scan of his brain and his amygdala is just silent. It's like black. There's no activity in it. And the doctors have pretty much never seen that before. And I found that fascinating because, again, whether it's nurture versus nature, whether he was born with just a very underactive amygdala or it's a combination of him also, you know, scaling these mountains right. with no rope and training his mind. The fact is, it's just you get a sense that he's genetically disposed to be this incredible climber because he's able to, you know, you imagine if you're climbing up, a, you know, a, 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 a mountain like that, a, a, you've got to be so focused the entire time. You can't have any slip up. And his brain is obviously programmed to be able to remain quite calm and, and relaxed throughout that that time that he does that. I was just fascinated by that. Yeah, he's probably in like an ultimate state of presence, you know, at all times. I was like, you got, let's look at my amygdala. Things going <laughs> it's crazy. crazy right? <laughs> you don't even see the brain is just that part. Like just going it's like bright ham. red. Yeah. <laughs> That's crazy, uh, man. Well, 
That's really, really interesting. It just opens up the, uh, when you talk to, this is the last question I'll ask, cause I think we gotta, we gotta end it. Um, even though I have no, have no idea how much, how long we've been talking, <laughs> but, um, when you work with men and you know, men that are completely new to any of this stuff, mm-hmm. what are the, some of the things that you do and work on or send them home to do is a lot of it based on like what you just said, like meditation and journaling and breath work. So those are definitely the the basics yeah. that I introduced to them. You know, you want to have metrics every day or mastery metrics, as they like to call it, where every day you wake up and you work on yourself first because that's going to give you everything you want in life. When you work on yourself first, you will get the relationships you want, the business that you want, the life that you want. So the idea being that like you work on yourself so you can be of better service to other people in the world. Yeah, absolutely. Be a better service to other people and be of better service to yourself. Yeah. Cause a lot of these men, you know, they might seem okay on the external surface, but internally they're, they're just talking shit to themselves the whole time. What are a lot of the issues that you see based on us? I mean, is it just a combination of like family issues, relationship issues, past trauma? Like what are there any ones that particularly stick out where you start to see? Um, yeah, absolutely. Parents, parents. Okay. Yeah. And you know, it's, it took me some time to understand that because I was holding a lot of shit against my parents, but you got to have a different perspective now and see that, you know, they went through their shit too. And our parents may not have some of the stuff that we have to heal ourselves. Yeah. So that's all they knew. Right. And then when that's all they know, that's what they teach you. And it's just a cycle. So now the men that are coming into these circles, I'm telling them, they're like, yo, all these dragons right now, you're slaying them so the bullshit that happens with your family that stops with you right and the reason why i do this now is that when i have a son he's not going to be going through the shit that i went through Mm. that stops with me yeah that's um and yeah but i would say just to kind of go deeper into that that question the first thing that i honestly do is just hold space for the man and it sounds so simple but there's so much healing done when me and let's say you were one of the guys that came in, I would just sit here and just be present yeah, and look you in the eye while, while you just talk. Yeah, right. And you just talk. I let you go as long as you want, whether it's three words you want to say or it's, you know, three paragraphs. Absolutely. And then the men just feel seen. They feel heard. Yeah. They feel felt. That's all they need. I mean, it's not, you're right. It sounds kind of hokey and sort of, but there's something very powerful about getting a group of people or just two people yeah. sitting in a room, uh, offering their attention and, and literally just breathing. Yeah. Like there's a lot of emotion and, and stuff that can, that can come from that. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, 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 it takes care of a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. And of course there's a lot of men that, you know, they've been through so much shit that they just don't even know how to tap into that and release. So you need kind of assistance from other things like plant medicine or whatever the case may be just to like right. speed up the process. Do you get a lot of shyness too, like shyness, embarrassment, like, dude, what are you, like, why are you looking oh, like absolutely. that? Like, what, yeah, what absolutely. is this? I feel kind of weird or, yeah. Absolutely. And that's where you have to step in and be that person that sets the, the standard. Right. And when I feel people shy away or they don't look me in the eye, I'm like, yo, bro, look me in the eye. Yeah. Like right. it's me and you right now. Look me right in my eye when you talk. Yeah. And they kind of just force themselves to it. And, um, you know, truthfully, I did have the experience. 
I actually grabbed a few of the guys and they were so inspired by what I do that I brought them into a room at like 11 at night while everybody's out there like partying. And we went through a set of breath work and then I shared the space with one of the men and we just sat there and I'm like, yo bro, look me in the eye and tell me what's bothering you at this moment in time. Like, what do you need support on? How can I support you? Hmm. And he just started opening and he told me his whole life story and we figured it all out that the next day when we sat in a circle, this guy was just vibrating. And he's like, bro, you changed my life. Mm. I was like, I didn't do anything, man. I was just talking to you. Kind of like the question you asked me before with regards to um, to cannabis and why the tipping point is happening now. Why do you think this this is like, why do you think there's men like you and I and many others that are, that are, that are that are doing this interested in this work and and why are there other guys coming to seek that out i mean i think there's something to be said like our parents generation was much more like you go to work you you know you work at a place and you work your way up from the mailroom all the way to the top and then you, you know, raise your family and i think there's something you could argue that's more um maybe entitled by our generation and i think there's certainly negatives that come from that but I think there's also positives, the idea of like, wait a second, like what, what does it mean to be a human being and take care of yourself and to look at these things and to really question? And so I'm sort of interested, why do you think that's happening now? So um, <clears throat> there's two paradigms that we refer to. And the first paradigm was the, the Marlboro Man paradigm. Yeah, right. Remember the guy with the cigarette on the horse? Right. And, you know, he's like the cowboy, the guy. And back in those days, you know, addiction and all these type of things weren't really that prominent. And as I mentioned, men were raised to be workers first, fathers second, and had feelings third. So, like, back in those days, you know, my grandpa would wake up, and if he felt like shit, he's going to work. He ain't calling out. Like, you got to put food on the table. So, like, they were just forced to do that. And as they went through their stages of life, like, all that started to build up to the point where it hit a tipping point. Mm. And men just started over-expressing themselves where the new paradigm was born. The, the Mr. Nice Guy paradigm. Hmm. Where men just don't stand up to their masculine power, power and own that shit. And, you know, movements like the Me Too movement came about where the, the ladies kind of started doing their own thing. And they're crushing it. They've been crushing it. But they also kind of put a lot of pressure on the men. And they made men feel like they don't have a power or say. And this new paradigm came about these Mr. Nice guys where they're like, I'll do everything my wife says, you know, happy wife, happy life. And that's not how it's supposed to be. Don't get me wrong. You want to have a happy wife and a happy life. Right. But there's comes a place that a man needs to stand in his power and own his shit. You got to stand up to your feelings. You got to own the actual masculine power that you have so that you could lead other men and women as well. Because don't get me wrong. Women are extremely powerful and they go out into the world and they lead their own movements and they crush it and they inspire. But when they come home, like they want to feel small too sometimes. Yeah. And you got to be there to provide that. And if you're not in a good state to do that, well, then again, you're the Mr. Nice guy. Right. And I think those states, as you know, as you said, don't have to be mutually exclusive. You know, they can exist together. I think yeah, absolutely. What's most exciting about some of this work that that we're talking about with regards to men is not only to improve the lives of men, but also to improve the lives of everybody of, of everyone yeah. and, and to, to, to be advocates and to be listeners and to move like things like the me too movement forward in a healthy way, you know? And uh, you know, like 
the biggest thing now, if you want to use statistics, is there's just way too many men having suicides. I believe 75% of all suicides are men. Mm. And that's crazy. And that's how you know we need help. So there's people stepping up to the plate and offering that. And it's literally changing men's lives. Yeah. Man, I wish we could just continue talking here. But people were like, uh, this is called the Aurelian Hour. Uh, it's like, I don't even know how long we're in it. But. Aurelian Day. Like. <laughs> Aurelian. Yeah, we're changing this one. This is going to be the Aurelian Day. Um, anyway, man, thanks so much for, for being on it. I really appreciate you coming on and the support. And um, yeah, I think this is been such a fascinating conversation and i think it's just really the the kind of the the start of this kind of tip of the iceberg which i think is gonna be really exciting and uh i'm jealous that you're going to bali (laughs) no worries man there's space for everybody there so have a good time for for sure man you know nick thank you for this opportunity i feel very blessed and grateful to share the space with such a powerful man as yourself you know what we're doing is literally changing the world and you and i are the revolution as i like to call it Mm. because there's not really men that are stepping up to do this shit so we are truly modern renaissance men because we are being of service to the community cool just by different avenues so i appreciate you i appreciate the work that you do man thank you your your products i've been using it since i got it (laughs) and it's been amazing so for anybody listening to it look into his products they're not just cool products they actually work yeah cool thanks so yeah man thank you for this so much all right appreciate it thanks so much for tuning in to the aurelian hour if you guys have any suggestions of topics we should cover guests we should have on feel free to email me at nick at aurelianlife.com you can also check out our website aurelianlife.com for blog posts faqs and products all related to health wellness and cbd we'll see you next time